Well, for some time now, we have been considering on Sunday morning our series on Moses as the man of God. And uh, we are reaching now, getting close to the end of this. The book of Deuteronomy will record for us the last sermons that Moses preached before God brought him home. And today we're going to be looking at the second part of a message that actually started last week, uh, built in the book of Deuteronomy, that tells us uh, or d- discusses the issue when your son asks. When your son asks. So let's all stand together then at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. When your son asks, when your son asks. We began looking at this last week because actually this is uh, toward the end of this part of Moses' message. There were several things that he instructs us to do or tells us to do. And uh, that uh, begins, of course, with uh, we saw how that we are to hide God's word in our hearts. And that was the very first thing that he told us. Hide, your, hide this word, this word that I give unto you. You shall hide it. In your hearts. Then the second thing he told us that after that was that we are to share this with our children. And the way that we then teach our children, we hide it first in our own hearts. After all, we can't teach somebody what we don't know. And so we have to hide it first in our own hearts and then teach it to our children. He had several different things that he encouraged us to do. Uh, in order to help us to teach our children. Uh, You remember that uh, he told us that we are to uh, teach them diligently and we are to talk of them when we sit in our house. And uh, again, I remind you, this uh, requires godly conversations, actual conversations. God told us to talk, (laughs) to talk about uh, the Word of God. And I know it's difficult sometimes to talk to our kids. But we have to learn how to do it. We have to talk about God's Word. And it was critical then that they pass along this truth to them. Also, uh, not only were they to teach them and talk of them, uh, but they were to talk about them when they walked by the way, he said in verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 6, when you lie down, when you rise up. Uh, So he says, you hide these words in my heart. You teach these things to your kids And I also want to remind you today in a passage that I try to bring up every Father's Day. And that's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. 
And so God gives particular responsibility for the spiritual training of children to the father. Fathers, bring up your children in the training, the nurture, and admonition of the Lord. You see, these people were headed into pagan territory. These children especially were going to face all kinds of issues, all kinds of different beliefs, all kinds of different gods, all kinds of belief systems and ideas. In that sense, we're not much different from them. Uh, When you put your kids on that big yellow bus uh, all during the year, you're anymore, even in Cabot America, we are sending our children out into pagan territory. We may try to keep that away from them as long as possible and do as much as we can about it. But again, sooner or later, uh, they're going to go out into that world. And it is going to be very much pagan territory. Pluralistic beliefs, all kinds of different ideas, all kinds of different beliefs. And so it was critical. Moses knew it. God knew it. We know it. That there is a critical role on behalf of parents and especially of fathers to pass God's truth on to the next generation. We remember the time that this was all happening. They'd come out of Egypt. They'd been 40 years in the wilderness. And the people uh, now that Moses was dealing with was a whole different generation. Actually, a couple of different generations. A whole generation had passed. And now a whole new generation was coming in. That also never changes in the kingdom of God. We are always seeing one generation pass, always seeing another generation come in. And you see, the faith of God is not something we pass along like a genetic trait. I wish it was. You can give your kids blue eyes. You don't have any control over it, but you could. You can give them your red hair or blonde hair. You can give them your height or or lack thereof. You, You can give them all kinds of things genetically, but you cannot give them the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in their genes. It's not. It is learned. And every generation has to learn it. And the one who's in the front line of this is the parents, especially the dads. Fathers, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so as we think about it, how the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ is not not passed on genetically. It's not a genetic trait. As we think about how that it has to be learned and every generation has to learn it, there's more. There's more to consider. Um, We need to remind ourselves that there's a predator in the world. In fact, that we could say he is the ultimate predator. And Simon Peter warned us about him in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The devil is the ultimate predator. You see, we've grown obsessed with teaching our children and trying to protect our children from stranger danger. Well, there's a bigger danger, satanic danger, the ultimate 
ultimate predator. In fact, we could say that he is behind all the others who prey upon children. He is the ultimate one. And we're told then to resist him steadfast in the faith. And when we see the word the faith put together that way in Scripture, the Bible is talking to us about our beliefs, our beliefs, what we believe to be true, who we believe in. And so faith is effective at resisting Satan only when it is in the right thing, when our faith is founded on the right things. You know as well as I do, there are people all over this community who believe things that are absolutely not true. They believe them very sincerely, but they're not true. They may even have beliefs about God that are not true. You see, faith is coupled up with what we believe. So we've got the practice of faith. Yes, well, I'm a believer. I believe God. Yes, but that is effective in resisting Satan only when we believe the right things about God and about the Scriptures. That's why we talk about hiding God's Word in our hearts and teaching these commandments, passing them along to our children so that they know then what to believe. And that then equips them to resist To resist the devil who as a roaring lion seeks whom he may devour. This morning then uh, we're going to move from those first two parts of Moses' sermon. Where he told us to hide God's word in our hearts and teach God's word to our children. Now the third part is this. Do what is right and good. Teach God's word to your children. Hide God's word in your heart. Do what is right. Verse 17. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. Now we remember that the commandment to honor our father and our mother is called the first commandment with promise because we had the promise that went along with it that it may be well with you and that your days may be long upon the earth. Uh, but now we'll see this passage and it tells us it's not just the obeying God in reference to honoring your father and mother, but it is doing what is right and good in the sight of God. So that all of God's commandments are brought into play. And all of them then are given a promise that it may be well with you. And that you'll go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to you. There is much evil you see to avoid. And there is much good to be accomplished by a simple plan. Doing what is right and good in the sight of God. Do what God has commanded you to do. But this passage also goes on to warn us about a critical danger that we all face. And that's in verse 10. Moses said, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now I can summarize this passage for you very simply this morning. Life happens. Life happens. I mean, there was, there was, there was battles to be fought, but God says, listen, you're not going to have to worry about those. The Lord is the one who will go before you, and the Lord is the one who will fight those battles. And they would see that happen over and over again. There were battles to be fought. There were victories to be won. Uh, God would help them. God would bless them. God would fight on their behalf. The big danger, you see, was not the enemies that were in the land. That wasn't a big danger. Their big danger was that they'd get so busy living life that they'd forget God. Especially when they were being so blessed. I mean, God gave them a house. They didn't have a house payment. <laughs> didn't have to pay taxes. God gave them a land to farm. They were crops that they were going to harvest that they didn't plant. God was going to bless these people and bless them and bless them and bless them. He told them that. But be careful lest you forget the Lord. You see, when we get busy living life, and especially when we are blessed greatly, then we live life in a large way. We're not consumed then with just surviving. We've got leisure time, and it's easy just to go on our way. After all, hey, we've got a lot to do. Don't we have a lot to do, brothers and sisters? We've got a lot to do. I've told you before about the guy who I heard say one time when he was little, he thought church was like school, and it turned out all summer. But you know, it's not just summer anymore. There's so many competing influence. It takes a concerted effort on the part of both parents to make sure that God doesn't get left off our planner. God doesn't get left out of our schedule. We're going to have to work at it. God said, be careful. Be, be very careful. There is a critical danger to avoid. Beware. Lest in the enjoyment of all your blessings, you'd forget the Lord. And so there was also then that critical discipline. There was a critical danger to avoid, but there was a critical discipline to employ in verse 17 and 18. Diligently, diligently, all we emphasize that word, diligently keep God's word. What's that mean? That means we have to work at it diligently. Give it diligence to do what is right and good. Now, God did not give us a commandment for everything. There's a lot of things that aren't covered in the Ten Commandments or any other commandments. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to hide God's Word in our hearts. Because as it's hidden in our hearts, as we meditate then, think on the, the Word of God, we have God's Word and God's truth then in our minds, then something happens. It changes the way we think. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us, Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed, there it is, by the renewing of your mind. It changes the way you think. So that you may prove then what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that as we hide God's word in our heart, it may not be that God gives us a specific instruction. Go here, don't go there. It may be that God doesn't give us some kind of specific plan. Well, I want you to do this or I want you to do that. But as we have hidden God's word in our hearts, as we then have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living in us, and God has a remarkable way 
of working in our life so that we can see what is good. That's something I need to do. That's bad. That's something I need to avoid. This may be somewhere in the middle. It's not really good or bad, but it's dangerous, and I, I have to be careful about this. God's Word has an amazing way then of getting that truth to us so that we think biblically about life and about living. So we hide God's Word in our hearts. We teach God's Word to our children. We do then what is good and right in the sight of God so that while we get busy living life, we don't forget God. And lastly, we explain. Now we finally get to our text after two sermons. Uh, Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe. Against Egypt, Pharaoh and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. I call your attention to the first part of this when your son asks, not if. Moses understood there would be a time when people, their children, would begin to ask questions. And though the principle was directed to sons, it applies equally well to daughters. When your son, when your children ask, you see, there will be times when your children begin to question things. If it seems that there is a concerted effort afoot these days... To drive a wedge between children and parents. If it seems that way. It is because there is. There is a concerted effort. To separate, at least in their minds, children from their parents. Now, there's always been some tension, I guess, between children and parents. I don't know. I can only vouch for my own life. I grew up hearing about the generation gap. Everybody was talking about it. Whole books were written about it back then. The generation gap, generation gap, generation gap. What was it? It was an amazing thing. Uh, children didn't want to listen to their parents. Amazing. Children thought their parents didn't know anything. Amazing. It's Amazing. Now, granted, I think probably in the 60s and 70s, they had elevated that to a different level. Because uh, understand that for generations and generations and generations, uh, children were taught to do what the Bible says, honor your father and mother. And basically, everybody in the culture just kind of did that. Most everybody. But uh, it goes deeper these days. Many adults in our culture today grew up where parents, where their parents, many adult children grew up where their parents at best left them to raise themselves. And many adults today were were raised up in a home where their greatest threat was their parents. Through neglect and even abuse. Now these grown-up children are teaching in classrooms 
all over this country. Uh, they are leading in school boards. They are in legislative bodies and city councils all over the country. They're in laws, law enforcement. Uh, to these people, all parents are suspect. All parents are the enemy. They believe it very strongly. They believe that all the children that they can get around have to be protected from their parents because, you see, that was the environment that they grew up in, and that's what they think. That's the way they really think it is. They don't know what a stable home looks like. They don't know what it is to grow up with a mom and a daddy that love them and take care of them. They've never had that. They don't know what it's like. And so part of this effort, I think, that we see going on in our culture, remember, if it seems like that there's a concerted effort to try to separate children from their parents and, and to protect or somehow isolate children from their parents, it is because it is, and part of that is being fueled by the overwhelming breakdown in the family unit that has been going on now for a long time, several decades in America. As the Bible puts it, America sowed the wind and they're reaping the whirlwind. A family dysfunction, that's part of it. We can't allow ourselves to be blind to what is happening, but there's more. Powerful forces are at work in our world. They have agendas. They have money. They have power. And they want more of both. A lot of what they want to do, and it's hard for me to even identify who the they are. I could give you some names, but it, I don't know. I just know that powerful forces are at work. I read some of their proposals. I know some of the things they've suggested, the books that they've written. And we see these things then being put in place in governmental policy on almost every level. And it all comes down to this. Children must be isolated from parental influence so that they can be controlled and manipulated and taught to believe whatever the prevailing ideas are going to be. Is that going on in America? Folk, it's going on around the world. And those of you who were alive in the 1940s saw what was done with the Hitler Youth. But we can't point our fingers too much at that. Because a lot of that same kind of idea is going on all over the world right now. We cannot be blind to this. And to those of you who are our Christian youth in this building today, I want to encourage you. When you're children ask when your son asks I want to remind you young people that Siri and Google don't have all the answers only God knows where artificial intelligence is going to take you guys in the next decade or even in the next five years suffice it to say that everything you say every question you ask uh, everything you write and search for on the internet is going to be carefully recorded and analyzed and you're going to be given a very controlled answer. I do know that's coming. It's already here. You will find yourself then increasingly, young people, not necessarily receiving the real truth, but the truth that is determined for the most part by how many people believe it to be true. 
And all of it accumulated then through AI. And so I've got a word for you this morning, young people. Don't get so caught up. Don't let yourself get so, so caught up in artificial intelligence that you forget that your parents have real intelligence. If there's an artificial intelligence, there has to be a real one. That's just country boy thinking. But <laughs> that's, that, I don't know any other way to put it. If there's artificial intelligence, there has to be real intelligence. And I know what real intelligence is. The Bible has a name for it. The wisdom that is from above. Godly wisdom. It isn't just information. But it is the experience of generations of people. And most importantly, it is the word of Almighty God. It is godly wisdom that we can ask for. If any of you lack wisdom, your parents have wisdom. Wisdom that comes from their own accumulation of biblical truth. Wisdom that comes from their own experiences in life. And the Bible presupposes that you will ask your parents. So don't just ask Siri. Don't just ask Google. Ask your parents. God tells you to. God tells you to. Honor your parents in that way. That's, that's what it means, a lot of what it means when the Bible says honor your parents. It means to treat them with respect. To don't buy into this prevailing idea that your parents don't know anything. They know a lot. Ask them. It pleases God when you do. And according to multiple passages in the Bible, it may just save your life. To have a conversation with your parents. It's hardly a week goes by anymore that we don't hear of some young person who tragically takes their life. And what has pushed them in that direction? Two words. Social media. What is it they're buying into? What they're hearing and what these other people are saying to them. And their life then ends up tragically cut short when a five-minute conversation with their mom and daddy might have saved their life. If it had just opened up and had a conversation. When? When your son asks you. Then the Bible gives uh, the responsibility on the other side. When your son asks you, uh, when they bring those questions to you, they'll certainly have them. But then you're going to have to explain why. Explain those questions. Because that, that's what it was. When it comes to pass that your children ask you, uh, what is the meaning of this? Why do we live this way? Why do we have to do this? What is the meaning of this? Then you respond, you tell them, we were slaves in Egypt. And God brought us out of slavery so that he might bring us in to this place of plenty and blessing. You tell them then, explain to them, parents, why their faith is important. I've told you many times that I was raised by Christian parents. Church was the centerpiece of our lives. My dad was not a preacher. He was a deacon. He was a Sunday school teacher, song leader, church treasurer. He wore a lot of hats. But he was not a pastor. 
He worked at an international paper company on shift work. He was on call all the time. There wasn't very many times that we uh, actually got to take a vacation where we could actually leave because Dad was on call. And if something happened, we'd have to go. But I do remember one time that we were able to get away for a vacation. We went to a state park over in western Arkansas named Shady Lake. Some of you might have been there. Shady Lake. I don't even know if it's still there. But it was popular back then. I had cousins and friends who went there, some who seemed to stay there all summer. We're going to Shady Lake. Shady Lake. Wasn't much to it. It was an overgrown pond was all it was. But it, but it had a beautiful little creek that ran into it, a beautiful little river or creek. It looked like a creek to me. and It had a wreck hall. Now... I had, you had to understand, for, to a fifth grader, you know, we were on vacation. Uh, we were camping out. I had friends there. I had cousins there. We had water to fish in, water to swim in, a rec hall to play ping pong in. It wasn't heaven, but to a fifth grader, it's pretty close. Man, it was awesome. Saturday morning came, and we were packing up to go home. When I asked why, Mom said, well, we've got church tomorrow. I said, well, can't we just skip it and stay one time? And Mama said, go ask your dad. <laughs> dad explained to me that we had responsibilities at church, and that we had to be there. I was a little aggravated because all my friends and buddies were staying over that next day and they weren't going home to church and they weren't doing that. Why do we have to? Of course, my dad doesn't. I'm sorry. Fifty years later, I still remember that conversation. My dad does. But I do. Church is important. We're going to go back. I'm not trying to tell you all to, to start not ever to take a vacation or anything like that. Remember, my dad was on call and scheduling was tough and we had all that stuff. Uh, I'll be gone in a couple of weeks, but the bill's gone today. We all take vacations occasionally. But I am trying to tell you that when you live by the truth of God's word you'll be different your family will be different and your children are going to ask you why don't we do this why can't we do that why does it have to be this way and when they ask us you know what our answer is the same one we were in bondage to sin and to Satan and God brought us out. We were redeemed by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we live our lives now to honor him because he didn't just bring us out of slavery so that we could put ourselves right back in slavery. He didn't bring us out of bondage just so we could be in bondage to false religion or to false gods. He brought us out that he might bring us in. And Jesus said it best, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's his promise. So this morning.
God is still bringing us out that he might bring us in. But it becomes my responsibility at this point to remind you that bringing us out is where it all starts. God's not going to drag us out. We have to make a choice, and that choice is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That is a universal, uniform teaching of the Word of God. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. I can't believe for you. Your parents can't believe for you. Uh, parents, you can't believe for your children. But that's where it all starts. Bringing us out of bondage then frees us to experience the promised land. And that is God's provision, the place of God's provision and God's protection and God's power working in us and for us. And when we get there, God cautions us. Don't just enjoy the blessings. Remember the blesser and live for him. Let's stand together, please.